Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is the start of a new series on spiritual disciplines. College pastor Jack Cross explores how spiritual disciplines can enrich your relationship with God. He encourages us to schedule time for prayer and meditation. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. We're in some interesting times, right? It's, it's a strange place. And so one of the questions that I know that I've been asking is, man, where do I find truth from? Because, right, there's no one, one television station or something like that that I can go look at and say, like, all right, they're giving, they're, I'm getting the whole story here. That just doesn't happen. Um, and there's a lot of different sources. We live in an information age, and we got more access to more information. But good grief, it's hard to tell, like, what's what? And so when I think about all of it, I mean, and I, there's times where I almost say, like, well, yes, I'm a pastor. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but you guys are here this morning. And so I, there's part of me that there's times where I want, almost want to shy back away from, like, getting too spiritual. But in all honesty, I, I keep coming back to it. At the end of the day, like, our truth... The source of like where we're getting our truth from has to come through the filter of the Word of God. And, and especially in a time where it feels really chaotic, or, or regardless of what you think the days ahead might, ahead might look like. If you think that, that man, it, it, it looks like it's getting crazier, or if you think it's getting better, or either way, it is super important to have spiritual disciplines in place. And I know for me, one of the things that I've noticed uh, during 2020 is that when my schedule kind of gets flipped over on its head, my, my normal schedule, whatever normal is, um, that, man, it really feels like sometimes the spiritual disciplines can kind of go. And what I would tell you is that those are the things that, that as a Christian, as a believer, there should, there should be some things set in motion that, hey, listen, come hell or high water, these things are happening. Right, And I get it. Every day is a new day, and, and I got three children who are young, and, and sometimes it can be a little crazy, and sometimes you know, we just all kinds of new stuff coming down the pipe. But there ought to be some things in your life that it's like, hey, listen, we're, we're going to put some things in play. Over the next three weeks, we could talk about all kinds of different stuff, but, but particularly when we begin to look at things, we're going we're to look at some prayer and meditation. We're going to look at the idea of fasting. And then also look at the idea of giving. And over the next couple of weeks, and, and, uh, and each one of those I think have some nuances with them, but each one of them also are very foundational to our faith. For some of you who've grown up in church, my thought is like, hey, look, we get it, right? Or, or, or at least you, 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 you're going to understand each one of those words. You, you already have a set of definitions that as soon as I mention them all, you kind of have an idea of where we're coming from. But the reason why we want to spend some time here and we want to look at them through the Bible and look at them even in a practical way is that these are some of the things that you, we, we can't miss on. Like, like when life gets chaotic or when things get a little crazy, we, you can't miss on these things. And there's some others as well, but we're going to spend some time talking through here. But I want to make sure each week that we kind of pull out a little bit more as we dive in maybe to some specific things is just the overall idea, right, of discipline. 
Because discipline, at least for me, has had to shift over the last several years. My idea or my thought about how I think about the word discipline or how I put that into practice. And one of them, I think, is the idea of practice. But the other thing is just to kind of give us a a definition here or, or, or something to think about. We're going to talk about some spiritual disciplines. I don't want to get into legalism, I don't want, and that's what I want to make sure we push back. But to understand that discipline is an, a means to an end, right? If you ha- and here's the goal, and they may put it up here, but here's the goal is to walk closer and more consistently with God, right? So, so if you could, can, whatever, walk in harmony and close consistency with God, and you don't need spiritual discipline, by all means, you go do that, okay? Because at the end of it, that's what we're looking for. Through experience and through everything else, I'm going to find it really hard to believe that you can walk close and consistently with God and have no discipline, okay? I love, there's all kinds of different verses, and one of them that makes me think is Matthew 7, 13, where Um, Jesus is teaching and he says that the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction and many enter it, right? But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and few enter it. Man, that lines right up with discipline. You know, it's it's easy and the gate's really wide for us to kind of go do our own thing, our own way, and, you know, and it leads to destruction. The other thing is, how well you are loving God and others kind of is the standard. And so staying on the narrow path, that is our goal. I like how, you know, just, just in general too, if you look up, you know, Merriam-Webster's idea of discipline and their, one, one of their definitions that right up to near the top um, is that idea of training that corrects, molds, perfects, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. I like how they actually came out and used the term training, right? Have you thought about recently the difference between training and trying? Because I think a lot of us spiritually, and I know I've fallen in this category, maybe we're talking about a little semantics here, but to shift our thinking from the idea of we're trying really hard to we're going to train, right? John Ortberg says this way, training... For instance, training, it means to arrange your life around, a certain, around certain exercises and experiences that will enable you to do eventually what you are not yet able to do, even by trying hard. So training is essential for almost every significant life endeavor, right? You begin to think about, <laughs> for instance, if we said, hey, look, this afternoon or tomorrow, we're going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to try to run a marathon. Not going to happen. I might survive a marathon, but I'm not running a marathon. There, I'm going to dare say that there's not many people in here. I'm being nice by saying not many people in here that could just say, hey, this week I'm going to try to run a marathon. And most of you who've ran it all, you know that that would just be kind of, there's, there's a lot of ignorance with that if you decided, I'm going to do that. Now, if we said, four months from now, I'm going to run a marathon, which kind of implies that for the next four months, I'm going to get up early or I'm going to go late or I'm going to train. I'm going to work in that direction, 
right? Same thing, same idea with someone who, who plays the piano. Even a child prodigy, there are very, 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 very few people who would ever sit down and start hammering it out and banging around and then all of a sudden say, oh, this just beautiful music comes out. But even that person is not going to become a master at the piano unless they continue to train. And so you can have some God-gifted ability in certain areas, but at the end of the day, there's a discipline that comes along with training. And so when we talk about spiritual disciplines, I think part of it, for some of us at least, is shifting our minds from the idea of, I'm trying to read my Bible, I'm trying to spend more time in prayer, to possibly, what does it look like, how are you training to read the Scripture? How are you training to spend time in prayer? How are you training to spend time in meditation? And so a spiritual discipline is any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. I think there's a great definition there when you're trying to think about how we enact spiritual disciplines. A couple of the ones that we're going to look at today is this idea of kind of prayer and meditation. And we're going to start out kind of, I want to read a scripture. The first time that, that, that the word meditation is used within scripture um, is in, in Joshua 1.8. And so God speaks into Joshua and he tells him this. He says in, in Joshua 1.8, he says, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And so he speaks into this idea of we're going to stop, pause, and meditate. And the Hebrew word right there that he uses is this idea to groan, to mumble, um, basically to speak over and over. When we see it in the New Testament used, uh, it's kind of the idea of circling around, coming back around. So, so to meditate on something is to, to take a phrase, to take something relatively small or in, in concept, maybe not an entire big piece, but, but something relatively small, and to just kind of mull it over, Right? Whether that's to speak it over and over and over again or to say it over and over again, to memorize it over and over again, to write it down multiple times, but to go over something and just kind of over and over. And, and the reason why I put the, these two together, these two to me kind of walk together, is meditation, and I, I deal with this with our college students sometimes, and I've noticed this in teaching, that there are words that kind of are in our Christian vernacular that, that we, we may say like Christianese, Right? There's terms and words that, that for those of us who have been in church, when we say that we are supposed to pray and meditate on the scriptures on a regular basis, most of us say, yep, amen, that's, that's right, that's, that's good, we're supposed to do that. What does it mean to meditate? I'm going to bet that if I scan over the crowd or even ask people online, what does it mean to meditate? We pick out ten random people, we're at least getting nine different answers. Right? It's one of those words that, that we use, that we see in the Scripture. But what do you do to meditate on the Scripture? It's, sometimes it can be a little bit difficult. And, and I don't think that, you're, that if we ask ask ten different people, got nine different answers, I don't think that the nine answers would necessarily be wrong. I just think that that's probably one of those terms that we're really familiar with, that we use. But we really don't know what it means, and to try to turn around and explain it, and heaven forbid, explain it to a child, it's like, ah, I, don't, I mean, just, just read it. Just read it. 
Sometimes it's difficult to understand. So when in Joshua, when God speaks to him and says, hey, I want you to meditate on the book of instruction day and night. Day and night? What does that, what does that look like? Do we have anything in our lives right now that looks like that? Even close. Say most of us probably not. There's other scripture, of course, that has a lot to say about meditation. And so Psalm David was a big, he liked the word meditate. He liked the idea of meditation. So even in the very beginning of the book of Psalms, in Psalms 1, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Right? It was a big deal to David to spend time soaking in the law of the Lord, to to spend time and allowing that to set into his heart. And really later on, right, that he he actually even makes that statement. I want to hide your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you, Lord. Stuff like Psalm 63, man, Psalm 63 um, just really hit me personally this week to spend time in it, but, but it even starts out with this idea that my soul thirsts for you like in a dry and weary land, right? And just, he, he is, God, I need you. I love some of the comparisons, some of the, some of the visualizations that David gives from different times, but then he says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. Can you imagine like honestly meaning that? God, the love that you have for us is better than the breath that I have, better than the water that I have. God, my soul needs you. That's the way he felt. Those are the words that he penned during that time frame. And then he even goes on in verse 6, and he says that I lie awake thinking about you, meditating on you through the night. That ever ever happened to you? Where you spent some time and you just kind of, woke up in the middle of the night or even couldn't go to bed because you were thinking about who God is and what he's done in and through your life? It's happened a couple times. I know a lot of times I've stayed awake worried about something. I've stayed awake concerned about something. I've stayed awake trying to figure out what I was going to do with one of my children or what we were going to do financially or what about things that are completely out of my circumstances that are happening you know, halfway across the country type thing. But, but spending time... God, your goodness, your love, and just allowing that to kind of flow out. Philippians 4, 8 says that whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things, right? It's the same word, meditate, think on these things. Throughout the scripture, there's a term that the terms in scripture that they begin to use, it, it means to fill and focus your mind, to spend time in meditation. The reason why I bring that up is I think, you know, there's, I think there's great value in like Eastern meditation um, where, and I don't know if any of you have ever practiced any of that. And I, I mean, I've, I've done yoga a little bit or I've done a few other little things that I've done, you know, I even have a couple different breathing practices that, man, I think work great and all that. But that's not really what we're talking about here because the purpose of that is to kind of clear your brain. The purpose of that is to empty your brain, basically kind of get to a state of kind of, 
you know, almost asleep but not. And when we talk about Christian meditation, that's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is to fill your brain and to focus your brain on what matters. There's a couple different people that I wanted to share some quotes with. One from Chuck Swindoll, he says this, In place of our exhaustion and spiritual fatigue, God will give us rest. All he asks is that we come to him, that we spend a while thinking about him, meditating on him, talking to him, listening in silence, occupying ourselves with him, totally and thoroughly lost in the hiding place of his presence. Nancy DeMoss, she says it this way, As you read, pause frequently to meditate on the meaning of what you are reading. Absorb the word into your system by dwelling on it, pondering on it, going over it again and again in your mind, considering it from many different angles until it becomes part of you. That's a, good, that's a good word. And honestly, that's kind of what, when we talk about meditation, that's what we're looking for is that you're going to mull it over until you understand that it's a piece and a part of who you are and that you're actually going to put it into practice. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, the more you read the Bible, the more you meditate on it, the more you will be astonished with it. It's one of the things I think I talked with some of our college students just recently, that's, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon to me. I think when I was younger um, and began teaching or talking about it, man, I'd read people or I would listen to pastors preach and almost kind of an overwhelming defeating thinking like, man, I'm really not that smart <laughs> and I don't think I'm ever going to fully understand this and almost a defeating sense. I'm like, I don't know that I'm ever really going to fully grasp all the things that God's doing. And then I don't know if maturity or whatever, but something shifts and you begin thinking like, you know what, I can spend the rest of my life studying this and going over it. And guess what? It's a well that will never run dry. We can continue to, to look deeper and deeper and there's more and there's more. I can spend the rest of my life studying this and I'll never get to the bottom. Right? There's a shift in that thinking. But one of the things, that idea of when we become so astonished by what God's doing is that we respond. And that response ought to be, in some form or fashion, prayer. And so the scripture also has a lot to say about prayer. And so Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7, it says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I don't know what kind of year you've had in 2020, but I think a vast majority of us would love the idea of having the peace of God. The peace of God that surpasses understanding. The peace of God that will guard our hearts and minds. And so, Scripture, of course, has lots more to say about it. In Romans 12, um, he speaks of rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, keep praying, right? In Romans 8, 26 through 28, there's all kinds of different pieces right there that he says. Um, but right, it's that idea that he makes intercession for us. He, he goes on the Father on our behalf, and then all things work to the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose Right through there. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, we're given another just kind of beautiful promise where it says that, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. In 1 John, we see that we have confidence in him, that if we ask in his name, right? In Matthew 7, it says that ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, kind of in the 18 range, we're reminded of some phrases like, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. James 5, 16 is a verse on the back side of that, that prayer matters and carries weight. And so it says it this way, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When you're trying to live right and follow after God and put your spiritual disciplines into practice, man, it carries weight. It has the ability to produce results. It has the ability to produce results in your life and on the behalf of others. Most of our time when we read through all of this text... And my, my thought and my fear for most of us is these scriptures are not brand new knowledge. This, this text, our, our problem is not that you've never heard this before. Our problem often is that we're not putting this into practice. We're not actually doing what we know to do. One of the conversations, like, like I said, I get to talk with these 18 to 22-year-olds a, a lot and have different conversations with them. And one of the things that I, I have found myself reminding young men and young women, who have, especially who have grown up in church, right? Ones who, that I know from their church background, a lot of them, not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them who have grown up going to church on Sunday morning, possibly Sunday night, even a Wednesday night, kind of a traditional maybe church type church model. Um, several, some of them who come through the ministry and I get to have that conversation or, or even who have come from a church background that is, that's relatively solid that I know of or, or they've spent now five years into church and they've spent maybe even 15, near 20 years in church for some of them who have been raised kind of in it. One of the phrases that I remind, that I find myself reminding them of is that them in the next 10 years, them finding out brand new revolutionary knowledge from the scripture that's going to just change their thinking. It's probably not going to happen. Now, I mean, it's deep, and I, and I said that earlier, and I, and I do mean that. But for them to find something in scripture that just all of a sudden is like, wow. I've never thought about that. That is ne like that. That whole concept. Never, never, never even seen it. For some, for some of those guys, like that, probably not going to happen. And for for us in here, for a lot of you that I that I know your background and I know your story, the biggest revolutionary change that's going to take place is if you will actually put some consistency and faithfulness in doing the things that you know to do. Oftentimes with us, something like the idea of prayer, right? 
Like as a Christian, as a believer, we know, and most of us in here would say, prayer is important. But how are you training to do that? For those of you who've read scripture, and I mean, you've read it for a decade or more now. You, you would know that even when I started this morning, the idea of prayer and meditation, they go hand in hand. The word meditation and the idea of meditating on the scripture is, man, it's, it's in there. You can't get away from it. Yet, how many of us are training to meditate in a better way? Or even trying to figure out what in the world does meditating mean? <laughs> what, what is a meditation practice? What am I doing on a daily or weekly basis to actually put something like this into practice? And what it reminds me of is, is and I've already shared several pieces out of this these group of texts in Matthew 6 and Matthew 7, but it reminds me of the text in Matthew 7 and even just the unfolding and how Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount and he gets toward the end of it. And, and even Matthew 7, man, he hits things like effective prayer and then he's going to talk about the golden rule. He talks about the narrow gate. He's talking about a tree and its fruit, right? And then he even gets into the idea of the true disciple. And so for those of you who are familiar with that passage, those of you who are not, I'd encourage you to go back and read it. I don't have a lot of time to break all that down. But he talks about true disciple, and he comes to this phrase, and it says this. It says, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Those who actually do the will. Now, this, you've got to read this thing in context and understand that you've got to interpret the Scripture in light of the context of Scripture, the entire Scripture. And so, I honestly... Do not believe that he's saying, hey, look, if you sin, you're not going to heaven. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a heart condition. That, that if your heart's desire is to just kind of check a box, if your heart's desire is to just kind of go through the motion, but I don't really, I mean, I'm not really going to do this. I'm not really going to change my life in light of what I've been learning and reading from the Word of God. I don't know what you do with that, but I can tell you this, you have a problem. He even goes into another metaphor and story where he begins to talk about, in verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds their house on solid rock. And then we got it up here, and then he drops down in verse 26, right? And the other phrase is that the inverse of that, really. It's, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds their house on sand. And what I love about the story, and for those of you who are familiar with the idea that the storm comes to both, life is going to hit both people. The person who's built their house on sand, the person who's built their house on rock. And the harsh reality is neither one of us know exactly when it's coming, or how it's going to hit, or what exactly it's going to look like. But the storm will come to both people. And at that point in time, you get to find out, did you build your house on a rock, or did you build your house on sand? And the, the common denominator for both these is, did you do, did you try to put into practice, did you train, did you discipline yourself, to put the word of God in your life. 
Or did you just kind of, eh, you know, I checked the box and put it in place and we'll see what happens. Man. My fear is that too many times, even as believers, that we're not actually doing some of the very core basic things that we know. And I, my encouragement to you is this. If you're feeling not peaceful, if you're feeling a little bit chaotic, if you're feeling a lot chaotic, if, if you feel like, man, I'm losing my stuff, if you'll begin to put some of these core things, particularly and especially spending time in prayer and spending time meditating on God's word, life can change. If we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, He'll give you all that you need, and he'll take care of you. I've got something I wanted to do for us this morning, uh, just, for, just for a couple of minutes. And for the sake of you guys up out here and for the people online, I'm going to move right over here um, because I talked about meditation. And um, one of the things I want to do with these next couple of weeks is I want us to... I want us to talk about the Scripture. I want to make... A, I want to make it very well known to you that there are that, that that we need to put these things into practice. You can't miss on them, right? But then I also I want us to hand you a tool because that's one of our purposes. That's one of the things that we're doing here at Pathway. We want to equip you to be able to go and do, right? And so for just a couple minutes, maybe maybe you don't understand what meditation is. Maybe you've never practiced, it. or maybe the extent of your meditation is I'm going to wake up. I got my cup of coffee. All right. Read it, read it, read it. And then I'm just going to try real hard to just, what is that saying? That's not bad, by the way. That's, that's really not. But I want to give you a, a different opportunity. And there's all kinds of different ways that you can meditate on the Scripture, Okay. But just real quickly, one of the ways that, that I do it, um, that you're, uh, that just... It helps. Um, it helps me to stay focused. Um, is if you do it this way. And so this week, uh, one of your next steps, one of your next steps is going to to walk through one of the passages that we read, in particularly in Philippians. Um, and so that's one of your next steps. Is I want you sp- I want you to spend twenty minutes meditating this week. I want, just an exercise, man. If you if you're used to it and it's common, man, you could easily go an hour, especially on that particular text. Uh, I have no doubt. But if you're out, if, if, if you're uncomfortable and you don't really know what that looks like or you've never really tried it, I want you to get up sometime this week in the morning or maybe in the evening before you go to bed. I want you to spend some time meditating on God's Word. And so I want to give you, just as a, I guess as a teacher, give you a tool that you might be able to use that will help you out a little bit. Okay, so when I talk about meditating in this way, in this particular exercise, one of the easy, simple things for you to do is for you to come through here and just make simple markings. You don't have to have a ruler like I did, but go ahead and make your marks um, and divide your page into three different places. That's going to open up a couple different things for us, okay? One of the things that that's going to do is it's going to give you a space to, to write and to, to write your meditative thoughts, the things that come to your brain, the things that are going to uh, come up. Uh, then the other side of it is you're going to have an opportunity. I want you to write task right up here on this margin. And right down here, man, you can write a couple different things. You could write... Um, future, you could write study, um, whatever. I'll go back and explain that here in just a second. But basically, you're breaking your page up into three different pieces. 
at the top of this page, when we begin kind of meditating, I want you to open up your Bible. I want you to read through the passage. I want you to read through it maybe 10 times. But read through it in a consistency where you can almost, or maybe you, you can absolutely, you've got it memorized. Where you can turn around and you could just even say it, right? So in this context, man, John 17, 14, 15, I'm going to come out and I'm going I'm to read it multiple times in my Bible. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. And so I want you to just kind of mull that over, right? Like I told you earlier, to meditate in the Hebrew, it means to mumble. To, they're even, even in a sense of maybe even singing. It, I mean, man, if something comes to you right there, but it's, it's to go over and over and over and over. The Greek is to turn it around. So either way, it's a circular, it's going over and over. Man, one of the ways that I think, honestly, that I would encourage you to do is write it out. Handwrite it. Go through there and write that down. That's why I did it. Kind of pre, pre-did it here. Um, for you to go through and just, just write the verse down. There's something, obviously, um, that I, and I don't even understand the neuroscience behind it, but there's something stronger about when you read it multiple times and then you take it and you write it for you to remember it. After that, I want you to begin to think about a couple different pieces. We're going to begin looking through it. And start just thinking about the different phrases that are in here, the different particular words that kind of come to play in this passage. And so some of it might be that, man, I have given them your word. I have given them your word. This is Jesus speaking. Sometimes I like to come to passages, most of the time I like to come to passages, act like I don't understand what's going on or don't know what's happening. But sometimes it's also impossible to, to, to forget completely. But if I was looking at this passage, and when I did actually look at this passage not too long ago and meditated on it, um, this idea of, man, your word. Jesus says, I gave them your word. And I'm just trying to even thinking about a way to sing it. And you don't have to be a great singer, but just, just something that just kind of, wow, your word, Lord. And then all of a sudden, this another verse kind of came to, to my mind. And, it, and, it, and if it's, it, here's what I would tell you, and here's what this little piece down here at the future um, is if it's a verse that you know it's going to lead you down a rabbit hole and take you somewhere else because the idea is to focus. We're going to stay focused on this particular passage. And so if you, if you think that, man, this is going to take me somewhere and we're going to, I'm going to get lost, I'm going to get off of this passage, just write that down right down here. It, it, or if it's something that, you know what, I think there's a verse, but I, there's something like that, but I don't remember where it's from. I don't remember where I can find it. Jot that down. Jot what you do know right down there. A way, part of this is to say, okay, boom, okay, later on I'm going to go back and I'm going to study that. Or maybe a different day I'm going to come through and I'm going to look at that. But right now I'm focusing on this. But me particularly, I, don't, I didn't remember at the time um, where it was found, but what I did remember was it was Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And that idea that God, Jesus, you gave me a light. You gave me a lamp. Jesus is saying, he's praying, this is the, the, his, his last kind of final prayer. It's the longest prayer we've got from him, where, where he's actually praying. And he says, 
I gave them your word. I gave them the light. I gave them the lamp. And so these are the things that are kind of going through my brain. And what I would tell you right down in here is, man, you have a, you have a lyric to a song that kind of jumps out at you. Um, you're going to say it. You're going to write it. You're reading it. If you've got something else comes to mind, you may draw in pictures. I know some people like the idea of doodling and drawing and that kind of thing really brings that to life. This is your space. Do that. But for the most part, we're trying to stay focused. And, and as to speak on focus, you know, because when I start doing this sometimes, and sometimes it's in the morning and, and sometimes it's in the afternoon, but sometimes I'll start writing this and all of a sudden I'll think, oh, man, you know what? I got laundry to do. Gosh, you know, that's the, the, the colored clothes are really overflowing the basket right now, which is funny, and I laugh at that because I don't think about that any other time. But, <laughs> right, when I'm supposed to be meditating, all of a sudden I think about doing laundry. Um, Karen can testify, like, I'm not someone who's going to wash a lot of clothes um, necessarily. But, but when I'm supposed to be doing something else, that's what comes to mind, right? Or, or all of a sudden I start thinking about, you know what, I need to check in on you know, mom, I need, to, I need to give mom a call, you know, you know this, that, or whatever. Um, it, it's so easy to start getting distracted, but the reason why you have this task pane over here, the reason why you have that, that on your margin is this is a way for you to take those thoughts captive. Because I know sometimes with me, if I don't have a way, because sometimes if something interrupts my time with God, it might actually be really important. It might be a good thing. But either way, I have the ability to know, hey, look, you know what? I'm going to write that down right here. I'm not going to forget it. There it is. It's there. 20 minutes from now, an hour from now, I'll go do that, whatever that is. Or maybe I'll realize I don't really need to do that, and it really wasn't just a distraction. But that's a way for you to jot that down and take that piece because you need to get back to this area. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that. And as you begin to just... Look over, and there's all kinds of little phrases here that you may see and that you may go about, and you may mull over and say, the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as you do not, just as I do not belong to the world. And then verse 15 is really why I thought that this passage, when I, when I did this on my own, in, in, in serious, verse 15 was the one that I looked at and I said, you know what, this this is probably why this is a significant passage. And it says that I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. What I found interesting about this is I just kind of let you know, you let that sit. What's remarkable, there, well, there's a couple of pieces that I want to show you, but, but right there, just Jesus recognizes that the world hates. And he used the word hate, and in the translation, it means hate. And so, like, he recognizes the world hates them, just like they hate me. Yet I don't want you to take them out. I don't want you to rescue them quickly. I want you to be with them in the midst of it. Think about the significance of that. He wants you to be here even though he recognizes that you're in a foreign territory. And, and the other thing that I do know about this passage that I can't ignore is that He's praying for his direct disciples, that the guys literally that had been with him. But then he even goes on to say that he wants to pray for the people who have faith because of them. So he's praying for us in the future. And this is Jesus saying these things. But to me, the cool part about meditation is the remarkable piece of this right here. 
Because while I said, you need to focus, <laughs> and we're going to stay right here on John 17. As I read this passage, I, can't, I couldn't get away from that right there. Because I've read something like this real similar in the last few months. And a few months ago, I taught our college students on a passage that had some very similar language. And so at first, I tried to ignore it. And honestly, at first, I tried to, you know, I wrote it down here. And, uh, and so I just kind of jotted it down and I tried to ignore it or whatever. But then the more I sat there and, and I pondered upon this scripture and what this text is saying and, and what's happening, the more I just like, ah, I got to go, go check that out. I got to go see. Like, I'm just too curious. Like, I just can't wait. Like, this is good stuff. This is good stuff right here. And so, because if, it, if it's what I think it is, then like, I need to go look at it. And so sure enough, man, I pull out my phone really fast, you know, broke, broke one of my rules that I'm going to pull out my phone and I'm going to get some distractions a little bit. But occasionally, hey, look, this is your space. Uh, this is your meditation. You need to spend time doing it. And one of the things that as I'm looking at this, what I see is, hey, I was right. I pull up my phone. I've got, you know, a little piece in here that says, from, from Blue Letter Bible, is a, 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 a website that I use to help translate the Greek and Hebrew. And I, I don't think that, like, the people who translate Scripture from the original language into the English language, man, they're so stinking smart, and I don't even act like I even know what I'm talking about when I begin to look at that kind of stuff. But one of the things I have found is that there's problems in translating from one language to another, right? Anybody who, any of you who've ever studied a language at all, you understand that they don't always equal in weight. And so when I look back and I, and I look at John 17, verse 15, and I, and I find that what is the word for evil one in the original language, I'm like, holy cow, it's exactly what I thought it was. I've seen this before because I've read it in other places. It's Paneras. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but, but that's what it is. The remarkable thing is that when we look back, when, when, when I had studied it before in Matthew 6, guess what? In Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking and he's, he's taught on a couple different things and he says, hey, you have a good eye and it's opened up to the window of your soul. And it's kind of, he takes this weird term when he's talking about the eyeball and, and it can be a little strange, but he says, then there, you have, there's the evil eye. That your heart can be dark. And when you begin looking at that, when I was actually teaching our college students on the, the good eye and the evil eye and kind of what Jesus was trying to talk about right there, the thing that I came across was that Panaris is the wicked eye. Which eyeball, it absolutely, the word that's used there in Matthew 6 can be the eyeball physically. But it can absolutely also mean the metaphorical like your mind. So when Jesus is teaching right there, he's looking at it and he says, Hey, your evil mind causes darkness in your soul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. But the more remarkable thing that I saw when I was reading that was that he had already said something like that early on in that passage that really lines it up with John 17. 
Because what he had already said earlier in that passage is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Which is the end of the model prayer, the Lord's model prayer. And so what he's saying in that moment right there is, I don't think it's wrong for us to look at it and say, hey, listen, and most of my time I thought Satan. Deliver us from Satan. God, please keep me away from Satan and, and anything he wants to do to harm me. And that's not wrong. But the word that he's using right there is deliver us from the evil one, to which later on in Matthew 6 he helps explain that the evil eye is you. And it's me. And, that, and then it, 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 the, being the same word right there, and then again he turns around and prays this in John 17. That I, I, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but please protect them from their evil mind and their wickedness. And when I sit there and I think about that in meditation, I'm just like, Whew. And does it change the complete meaning of those verses or anything like that? Did we, did, we, did we have no understanding of what was going on there? No, no. But for me, it wrecked my world because I got to sit there and stop and think for just a little bit. Oh, wow. Maybe I've not completely been thinking about this fully. That my evil and wicked mind, that Jesus has been praying, and even on a daily basis, when he taught me how to pray in the model prayer, he says, lead us not temptation, but deliver me from the evil. That is within me. We have to spend time in prayer and meditation. As the band comes up, like I said, this is one of those where prayer and meditation, it will help you walk closer and more consistent with God. And so we've got to spend that time in prayer and meditation. It's one of those things as a believer, you can't miss it. I know for some of you, it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, the bottom line is, hey, prayer is going to help you work more closely, walk more closely with God. Yep, thanks, Jack. Um, you know, good thing we teach that to our five-year-olds. The whole series right here and the idea of spiritual discipline is that we have to put these things into practice. What are you doing to train? Are you currently training to get better in prayer and meditation? Or is it something that occasionally you try? Scriptures over and over repeats that there are blessings upon blessings from us spending time in God's word and meditation. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, meditate and pray on Philippians 4, 6 through 7, at least for a 20-minute session this week. Two, start or write in a prayer journal this week. Three, start a training plan for praying and meditating. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com slash connect.